each day. I know we've got people who are in transit, and um, you may see your neighbor on his or her phone more than normal this morning, and they probably are checking on the uh, location of a loved one, so cut them some slack and uh, don't be too judgmental if that's the case. We do care about our loved ones when they're traveling, and so uh, lots of things going on today. I hope you've had a great week. hope you enjoyed the holiday. If you remember last week, we talked about our freedom. And we were reminded last week that we're blessed to be in a country and to be in a place where we enjoy great freedom. We talked last week in part one about the idea that we're free in Christ. And not only are we free in Christ, we're blessed to live in a country where most of the time we're free to live out our faith without violating the law of the land. We did, however, talk about some of the current attacks that are on our religious freedom in our country today. We talked about those, and we asked some questions. You know, we asked questions about will we have the faith to preach and to teach and to obey if some portions of Scripture eventually become unlawful regarding the law of the land. And then as we talked last week about our freedom, we we talked about and explored the idea, how are we doing as God's people at hating all kinds of sin? Because sometimes we're inconsistent. And then we talked about the idea and asked the question, how are we doing at loving all people? People who are trying to follow God and people who aren't, we're, we're supposed to love them all. And how are we doing at that? And then as promised today, in our brief time together, we want to spend a few minutes thinking about some keys to preserving this freedom that we enjoy. And I think we need to focus on that because a study of history would suggest that our nation may well be at a dangerous point. And and here's why I say that. Alexander Tyler, he was a Scottish history professor, University of Edinburgh, He did some research and it led him to conclude that the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history, the length that a civilization has existed is about 200 years. And his research indicated that during those 200 years, nations progressed through a sequence. And the sequence is this, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back into bondage. And some feel like we're probably somewhere between the complacency and apathy stage in our country. And so from that, I hope maybe we can see some of the dangers that we face. And and we've had frustrations. We've had uh, elected leaders who maybe let us down in some ways. Maybe we put them in office and maybe they didn't keep their word. Maybe they didn't hold the positions we thought they had. Maybe their character wasn't what we thought it was. And so sometimes we've been frustrated and maybe we've been a little bit angry. And maybe sometimes when we step back and we think about Christians trying to follow God who want to be free to follow God without violating the law, and that we think about some of the problems that are on the horizon, maybe sometimes we're overwhelmed because the mountain appears to be so large. But before we go any further this morning, I want to stop and ask a question. I want this to kind of simmer on one of the burners in your mind while we're, while we're thinking about some things this morning. And here's my question that I'd like you to be thinking about. How does a Christian nation 
that elects its leaders go from being Christian to non-Christian. And again, how does a Christian nation that elects its leaders go from being Christian to non-Christian? I want you to let that simmer. I want you to think about that as we think about several keys this morning to preserving our freedom. Well, how do we go about that? Number one this morning, I would submit to you that it's worth our time to make sure that we care enough to understand our history. Not just our history as a people of God, but to understand our history as a country. Understanding that, that if our kids go to school today, they're not going to understand from a religious standpoint the history of our country. George Washington, in his farewell address to our nation, he said, Do not let anyone claim the tribute of American patriotism if they ever attempt to remove Christianity from government. And when we start thinking about the history of our nation... In some ways, maybe we've lacked in resources that talk about some of these things. But then also, unless we're really good at self-studying, we've probably lacked a venue. Because typically, when we come to Bible class, when we come to Bible study at church, we're studying the Bible. And so we don't always talk about these things in a, in a situation like that. But there are some resources. There's a book called The Myth of Separation, written by David Barton. And I remember the day my neighbor handed me a copy of that book. He asked, have you read this? And the reason I remember it, about 30 years old, reading that book, I remember how upset it made me. I wondered why, why am I reading these things for the first time at 30 years old? Why wasn't I taught these things at an earlier age? And there's some other resources coming up on your screen. I like America's God and its Founding Fathers by Jerry Self. It's, it's written in textbook form. And uh, Jerry, he's a friend of mine, but he decided I'm not just going to write about what people said. I'm going to go back and I want to read what the Founding Fathers actually wrote. I want to read their journals. I want to read what they said. I want to understand what they were thinking, or at least to the extent that they down on paper. And that's what he tried to capture in his book. So there are some resources today. And I believe these things are important. And you might try to make the case, well, you're pulling this out of context, and, and that's never my intent. But one of the things that Peter writes about in 1 Peter 5, he talks about being of sober spirit. He talks about being on the alert because then he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, I think we become much more ripe to be devoured and to have our faith compromised when we don't stay focused on the idea that we are in a nation that was intended to have a respect for God. We were founded on that. And so we need to care enough to understand our history. Second... We need to care enough to continue to evangelize. And obviously the words from Scripture are familiar. And we talk a lot about them. Jesus there in the end of Matthew speaking says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, or in other words, the more literal idea is as you go, as you're doing life, as you interact, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, even if ungodly people 
pass ungodly laws that make it more difficult to do what we've been left here to do. Evangelism, the idea of helping others go to heaven, that's one of the reasons we're still here. No matter what the law says, our responsibility will not and cannot change. And as people are converted... First and foremost, most importantly, the population of heaven is increased. Jesus and salvation, that's what everybody needs most. But as people are converted and as they're taught to observe all things, we become a more godly nation. As people in other countries are taught and they're converted, that nation becomes a more godly nation. When people begin to follow God, that nation will become more godly. One person... At a time. As I would submit to you that evangelism is one of the things that will prevent further erosion of our freedom to serve God and possibly to help our nation return to what it was founded upon. Third this morning, and I know you're shocked, we're already to point number three. We need to care enough to seek the kingdom first when we vote. And yes, the preacher just used the word vote from the stage. We're truly blessed by having the opportunity to elect our leaders, to be in a country where the process is that that we get to have a voice and that we get to have a say in who leads us. We're blessed in that way. And I'm afraid what we've done is that we've taken that freedom, our freedom, for granted in some ways. In other words... We are one nation under God. That's what we've been raised up to believe and that's always been a given for us. And maybe our thought process has been we are one nation under God, we'll always be one nation under God. And so when it comes time to decide who will lead us, that's not been a thought, part of our thought process. I don't worry so much about seeking the kingdom first because after all, we're a Christian nation. But not thinking about that, we're now paying a price. See, the fact of the matter is, our leaders, they'll make decisions, they'll pass laws that will either make it easier or make it more difficult for you and I to to obey God. And we talked about some of that last week. And because of our dual responsibility, you know, Jesus, he He didn't talk about what kind of government's best. I don't really think He cared. When He weighed in, what He told us is, obviously, you follow God, but then He said, if you've got an obligation to your government, you obey. If you owe taxes, you pay your taxes. You... You obey government. And so we talked about Acts 5 last week. Until that point where our government asks us to do something that is opposed to what God says, we we obey, we follow. And so because of our dual responsibility, it seems like it's only logical to want to elect people and to have people leading us who won't put us in conflict. Remember last week we talked about what we don't want is conflict. I want to be able to... God, and I don't want to be at a crossroads where I have to choose between obeying the law and obeying God. I don't want to have to make that choice. I want laws to make it easier for me to obey God. And see, I realize and I understand, and and my heart goes out to you if this is where you are, I realize some get a little bit nervous because the, the, the reaction may be based on things you've heard and been told that, hey, well, the Scripture really doesn't say anything regarding how I ought to vote. And in making that observation, you would be exactly right. Think about original audience. 
Think about original readers. As Jesus is talking to people, as he's interacting with people, think about who those people were. He's talking oftentimes to Jews who they're answering to a Roman government they didn't get to choose, they didn't get to pick out, they, they don't even like, they really don't respect, and he's telling them to obey. They didn't get to vote. It's a different kind of audience. And we ought to be deeply grateful for this great privilege and this great opportunity that we have in our country to have a voice in who leads us. Because too many times, maybe in taking our freedom and the idea that we're one nation under God, in taking that for for granted, perhaps we've wandered in to the voting booth looking for leaders who maybe who will set up the kind of government that we prefer or maybe the ones that will benefit us most financially. Because the answer to that question that I asked you to put on the back burner earlier, the the question, how does a Christian nation that elects its leaders go from being Christian to non-Christian, the answer to that question is, the only way that can happen is Christian people have placed non-Christian people in leadership roles. That's the only way that a Christian nation can move from being Christian to non-Christian. And it's taken decades... The price tag is beginning to grow. And the question is why? Could it be that we don't trust God enough to always put matters of faith ahead of everything else? In other words, could Matthew chapter 6, maybe verses 24 through 34, could Matthew chapter 6 contain a bit of a voting booth theology for us. Now we've talked about this passage, we talked about it on a Sunday night when we discussed worry. We're not going to go through all of this, but you remember verse 24, Jesus reminds His listeners, He reminds us that we have to make this choice. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And so Jesus says, you can't ride the fence, it's one or the other, you have to choose. And so then... He has extensive dialogue in saying, since you must choose, why not just choose God? Instead of being worried, why not just choose God? Instead of wondering how things are going to work out, why not just choose God? And then when you get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which has already been read for us, he says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Unless I misread the verse... I don't see qualifiers on that verse. In other words, I don't see Jesus posting exceptions. Seek first the kingdom of God, except when it's not convenient. I don't see that there. Seek first the kingdom of God, except on Election Tuesday. I don't see that there either. I can't answer for you, but I can tell you about me. And see, I understand as I think back through my years of being a young man, middle-aged man, and getting a little older now, and I can remember way too many times where I've gone in to elect leaders, and I'm not thinking about the kingdom, and I'm not thinking about putting the kingdom first. I'm, I'm thinking way too much about money, or I'm thinking way too much about the kind of government that I want. And we might be better served to think in terms of, is there a leader? Is there somebody who wants 
to serve in the public office who first and foremost is trying to have a relationship with God? Is there somebody who wants to lead me who who is trying to have a relationship with Jesus, who surrendered his or her life to Him? The other thing I need to remember about choosing leaders, uh, Paul made this statement in Romans chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter, verse 32. And he reminds his listeners that, that we've got to be very careful as Christians about putting a stamp of approval on things that are evil. The verse says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so when I make a choice about who will lead me, I must be very careful that I'm not placing a stamp of approval on sin, no matter what personal gain I may see that there is down the road for me. You know, we often around election time, and see, it's not election time, and I think this is a good time to talk about these kinds of things. When we're being thankful for our freedom, one thing we as preachers sometimes do, we wait till election time to talk about these things, and then people have already made choices, and we're already emotional, and we don't want to hear it right then. All I'm trying to get us to do is to think a little bit. And normally we'll do some homework and we'll try to research candidates and we'll try to find out some necessary things about who they are and what they believe because we don't want to vote carelessly. And all I'm submitting to us is that maybe our first question should try to be, does this person have a relationship with God? I realize, and you do as well, that the, the, the challenges that we face, the, the mess that we're in in some ways, it took decades to create, and it won't be an overnight fix. We won't fix it quickly. But I also know this. One way that we start making an improvement is by installing one God-fearing person into leadership at a time. And yes, I realize there may be some times where we feel like we're having to kind of hold on to our nose and choose between the lesser of two evils. Sometimes that's going to happen. And in those cases, we need to study up and pray for wisdom. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, he said this all the way back in 1810. He said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. By God's law, we're obligated to obey our government. It's in Scripture time and time and time again. And you've got to remember, Jesus is telling people to obey who it's corrupt and it's abusive and it's oppressive governments in many cases. They had no choice. And yet they were told to obey. Scripture does not address voting. They didn't get to vote. But what do you suppose those people would have given to be in our shoes today? Blessed with the ability to make a choice and elect leaders who would govern more closely to what the Bible says is right. We've been given a choice. We've been given a voice. We need to be wise in the decisions that we make. In the meantime, we must care enough to pray for strength and pray for wisdom and pray for courage We don't have to agree on what type of government is best. You may prefer a big government. Somebody else may prefer a small one. We don't have to agree on that because our responsibilities don't change. We obey them until the point that they ask us to violate 
our walk with God. We need to continue to love this great nation and pray that God will choose to continue to bless our nation. We need to continue to love God who's blessed us in so many ways. We need to continually be thankful for our freedom and and to thank Him for it, not just on our special holidays. We need to thank Him for the freedom of choice. And as we do all of that, we must continue to love each other. Because Jesus said, when people look at you and you're following me, they're going to know that you belong to me. They're going to know whose you are when they see love. Finally, we must never give up on the idea of living out the purpose that God has tasked us with fulfilling. We've been singing about it this morning. The idea that we're here to reach out and to help others find their way to heaven. Today, God loves you and He's blessed you. And the question is, how have you responded to the love of God? I'm thankful that each time we assemble, we extend the Lord's invitation, the idea that we're here today and if there's something amiss in your life, something that you need to make right between you and God, if it's something that you need to bring in front of your church family, you have the opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you've not begun your walk with God. And if you're here today and you've heard the Word and you understand what Jesus has done for you and you believe that He came and that He lived among men and that He went to that cross and that He was raised again and you're willing to stand in front of us today and confess Him as as Savior and Lord, if you're ready to do all that and then be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we stand ready to assist you in your obedience. If you need to respond today, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.